I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Uh, today we are talking about self-love and self-care, which I think are super important topics that we don't talk about enough, especially with young kids. I know as an adult, it took me until my mid-20s to even hear the word self-care. Uh, so I think it's really awesome to talk about instilling those things early on. So before I start blathering on forever, uh, I would like to invite my guests to introduce themselves. Okay, so my name is Melissa Lawrence. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am in Maryland between Baltimore and Washington, D.C. I am a proud mother of two. I have a 10-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. I'm also an active volunteer with Girls on the Run, which Mm. I'm a coach with them, which um, for those that aren't familiar is a a girls program in elementary school um, that helps them build confidence and love themselves also while learning to accomplish goals through running. And I've also volunteered as a court-appointed special advocate for abuse and neglected children. So I have a good amount of experience um, in this topic with children. Um, Professionally, I'm a certified career and life coach, and the foundation of my practice is really helping women build self-love and confidence so they can do and be anything. And personally, this is something that I've had to learn over the years, and I understand how important it is because of my own journey. Um, And so I think it's really important that we have this topic here and that we learn to raise our children to innately love themselves so it's not something that they have to learn later in life like I did. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of, I know for me, I had the same experience where it was like undoing a lot of stuff that had been done and it would be great if we could just have that done already. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that that sort of baseline of self-love and self-care. Hi, I'm Alice Kiritz. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Currently located on Vancouver Island in BC, but a little bit nomadic, so going to be moving a little soon. I am a registered clinical counselor and a Canadian certified counselor, and I work with folks across Canada strictly online. My experience working with kids is pretty vast. So um, I, like Seth, was also a nanny for many, many years. Um, I also did speech therapy and autism intervention with infants all the way through to adults for several Mm. years. Um, I do work with youth in my practice. I don't work with, with kids under the age of 10 currently. And, you know, a lot like Melissa was saying, we're learning these skills as adults. I think that most most of us who are adults are now learning these self-compassion and self-love skills. And how wonderful would it be for us to be able to have a new generation that has these innate skills so that they can, they can really succeed in this area and we can grow a, a climate of self-compassion and compassion towards one another. Um, I think we're going to see incredible things from the new generation. Yeah, as someone who works with young kids, um, I I already am starting to see that shift. And I'm really excited to, I think about a lot, like the kids that I'm with now are two. And I think a lot about like what they're going to be like, you know, when they're older. I hope that they, that, you know, we, you know, me and their parents can help instill that for sure. Hi, my name is Yael Rosenstock Gonzalez, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm originally from New York City, and I'm currently living in Bloomington, Indiana. And when I think about my relationship to kids, I it started off when I got my first, my younger sister, and I was around six mm. years old. She was born, <laughs> but then I had all these cousins, and then like uh, 
like Seth and Melissa, I was nannying for quite a bit. I've worked with sexually abused children. I've taught in classrooms from anywhere to like six months old until full adulthood. And I am also a curriculum consultant for sex and body type work. I think that insofar as my relationship with self-care and self-love, I agree with with the others um, that it was something that I learned intentionally as an adult, but I was lucky enough to have kind of built into my system as far as like how I, how I navigated the world. But as a someone who works mostly with adults, I do have multiple projects that engage in explicitly having people work through their uh, their self-love and their self-love journeys. So I think it's something that's really important and pivotal to the kind of spaces I try to co-create. Yeah, absolutely. Before we actually jump into the topic, I every episode we always start with this question um, because we talk a lot about uh, you know times where kids ask us questions that we're not necessarily prepared to answer or might, maybe they catch us off guard. So I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a child asks you a question that you weren't prepared to answer. I feel like there's never a time that a child doesn't ask a question that you're not prepared for. <laughs> that is they, often the answer. <laughs> I mean, they have an incredible way of looking at the world differently than us and and very innocently and genuinely asking out of curiosity. And we're just often sort of side-blinded by these, uh, sorry, by, blindsided by these questions. And I, I always like to approach these with, with age-appropriate and, mm-hmm. and developmentally appropriate honesty. I think that when we sugarcoat things or we we tell little white lies because, you know, we think that that's going to somehow protect children, I think we're doing them a disservice. I mean, really, we're not raising mm-hmm. children. We're raising adults. They just happen to be children currently. And let's raise them to feel confident that they can ask questions and not find out 10 years later that they were told something completely untrue for, you know, whatever reason. I also think that it sparks really interesting conversations. They might have asked us the question, but we can learn a huge amount from listening to their response to that. And and maybe even asking back, you know, well, what do you think the answer is? Or why does this interest you? Um, mm-hmm. And I think looking at them in, in some ways as our, our peers in going through life and learning about ourselves and about what's happening around us can be hugely insightful. Yeah, I think that was really well said. My kids have asked me a million things over the years and I was trying to figure out like, what is something really shocking? And I couldn't come up with anything really shocking. <laughs> and so I feel like I've been shocked, but um, a couple of things that came to mind that I thought was were kind of related to our conversation here is my son recently has been talking to me about why adults hire other adults to tell them what to do rather than <laughs> adults just having the confidence <laughs> to trust and know the answer. So he's like, you know, you go to school and then you go and you create a business or whatever it is you're doing in your life. He's like, why do you go and give your money to other people to tell you how to do something you want to do? Why don't you just do it? Like, you know, the answers. it's your business. It's your life. Like you just go do you. So that's always an interesting conversation. And the other one that came to mind was he asked me why, um, moms are called moms and dads are called dads and he was like why can't a boy be called a mom and so him and my my daughter were like in debate about this because my daughter's younger she's tense and she's like what do you mean of course mom is mom and dad is dad and and he's like yeah but why you know like (laughs) and I didn't have a good answer for him I just was like it's just the way it always has been, which is an awful answer. So I'm like, let's go look it up. Like when we get home, because we were like in the car waiting for food or something. So just, 
Yeah, I think there's definitely probably a linguistic reason, but but also like I would say like as a queer person, I'm like you can pick whatever label you want. Like I know people who yes. go by like you know you could be a boy and go by mom if you wanted to. You could be a girl and go by dad. And I know people like I used to nanny for a two mom family, and one of them went by mom and one of them went by Maddie, which was like a combination of mommy and daddy. Or like there are so many other names that people have for you know for their status as a parent but yeah it's it's funny sometimes it's just like questions like that that you're like huh and I think like part of the you know part of the thing too is saying I don't know I think is really important like that vulnerability of being like I actually have no idea like let's look it up or like let's think about it a little bit and maybe get back to it or I think that that's really important because grown-ups don't know everything and I think like I don't know, as a child of the 90s, I feel like my my parents and a lot of other people's parents that I've talked to around that time, there was this like perfect parent, like you can't, you have to know everything. And I mean, not to say that there isn't or those pressures now, but I felt like, especially then it was like, you have to know everything. And I thought my parents were like these perfect people who knew everything. And then I grew up and was like, oh no, they're just like people. <laughs> like <laughs> they've got problems and they don't know everything. And so I think, I think that vulnerability of saying like, I don't know is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that speaks volumes to the types of pressures that we we have typically seen growing up. The idea that we have to be excellent at things, we have to know everything, we have to be perfect. It's a huge amount of stress on on people, and and kids are looking to us to see who who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do with myself? And when we say you know perfection over progress. What we're saying is you're never going to be good enough. You're always going to feel anxious that you're never going to be good enough. When we flip that and we say progress over perfection, what we're saying is it's totally fine to not know things or to make mistakes or to decide that you want to redo. That's totally cool. It's how you deal with it. It's how you learn to reach out for support. It's how you ask questions. It's how you look things up when you don't know. It's how you take those things on that determines who you are as a person and how successful you are in life. And I think when we flip that narrative, we're setting these kids up to be hugely successful adults. Yeah, absolutely. I think that goes back to your saying that it was a peer, right? That thinking of kids as peers, which is always how I would set up my classrooms. I would let them know, like you were saying, Seth, I do not know everything. And I think that's also a practice of self-love, right? Being able to have that vulnerability and not feel like it's a negative reflection upon who yeah. you are. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk to kids, I couldn't actually think the only thing that I thought of was when my little sister told me, I know what sex is. And then like proceeded to physically demonstrate what that meant to her. And I was like, I'm going to get mom and dad because <laughs> I didn't know the appropriate response. And I've told kids like, let's go speak to your parents. If I'm not sure about whether or not I'm the person to be answering their questions, But insofar as like, I've never felt stuck. I just, if I don't know the answer, I say so. I offer to look it up with them. And if I do know the answer, then I answer them. But like, I I do think that that all goes back to the idea of vulnerability and whether or not it's, it's, it's it's a weakness to not understand or to not know. And I really loved your examples, Melissa, and think that it's just a great example of that kids are like such philosophers and have so much to offer. They really are. So jumping into the topic a little bit, uh, we're going to sort of break up. We're going to talk about self-care a little bit first and then self-love. But first of all, like, what is self-care? What does that even mean? Yeah, I love how we have them separate on here. So when I think of self-care, I think of 
it's more of an act. Like, so it's prioritizing yourself to do tasks that you're, that fuel you, that provide benefit to you as an individual. So that could be like making sure you have time to read the books you like or meditate or going for a walk, but making sure that you're thinking about yourself and what acts or tasks that you can do that are going to really fuel that authentic version of yourself. Yeah, I think that rolls right into where I was going with that. I think that, you know, very similar is the idea of boundaries. And I talk about this, Mm -hmm. I would say with almost every client that I see, and I think that we're all continuously working on our, our ability to set healthy boundaries. But you know, when we're able to set our boundaries, what we're really doing is deciding where our yes is and, and, you know, figuring out like, okay, what, what excites me? What feels good to me? What feels right to me? And how can I set those boundaries? So for example, you know, like you just said, Melissa, like setting out time to do the things that we really love, like really setting aside that time. And if something else comes up saying, no, I'm unavailable because I'm investing in myself. Um, I think that when we, when we look at it as an investment, that's where we can see the potential in it rather than when we see it as an expenditure where we're like, oh, I, you know what? I feel selfish doing things for myself or, mm. or I, I could be more productive because, you know, I can go on a whole soapbox about productivity, <laughs> real issues <laughs> with how we've set that up in society. But, you know, I think that having healthy boundaries and, and investing in ourselves and things that really, really, you know, ignite a spark in us and that allow us to be more whole, whole human beings going through the world, allow us to also extend that to other people. I think it's the same idea too of like, treating ourselves like we treat our friends assuming we treat our friends well which I hope we do yes Um, but but there's this you know I I think about it a lot with like a negative self-talk where like I'll be like oh you're you know Seth you're so stupid you're so this this." and then I'm like would I say that to anyone else like no of course not and like I should treat myself like I treat my friends and I think about that a lot with my time where if I make a time investment to one of my friends if I say we are gonna like right after this uh call today I'm I'm having a phone call with my best friend right and so if I've set up something and I'm like, you know, we're going to, uh, I'm going to do something at that time. But I don't give myself, I don't do the same thing for myself. If I say, hey, I'm going to sit down and read a book today. I'll be like, oh, but I could do laundry. Oh, but I could do this, but I could do that. Right. And I, I feel like tr- giving ourselves that same setting, this, the same boundary setting like you were talking about um, is, is really important uh, to think about. I completely agree. Boundary setting is part of definitely part of the practice in which I work with also with my clients. And it reminds me of the fact that when we think about our quote unquote free time, like you were saying, Seth, when people ask to make meetings with us and we're like, well, I don't have anything scheduled at that time. It's like, no, you have that time free for a reason. It's free for you. Right. So being able to recognize the difference between time that you have put away for yourself and time that you are actually available and having boundaries around when you're willing to do certain things or not do certain things. I think the one thing that I would, like, I, I truly believe that it's self-care is supporting yourself physically, mentally, emotionally to be your your best version of you. But I, I we talk about this in Kaleidoscope Perspectives with my co-founder, that self-care is not actually always pleasant. We often mm. think about it as something that, like, is a treat to yourself, but that shouldn't be a treat, right? It's supposed to be a regular practice. But it sometimes isn't something that, like, you're super excited about, but it helps you do and be the person that you want to be. And so, for example, like if I don't move, my body hurts. Like I actually feel physical pain, but I hate exercise. <laughs> and so <laughs> trying to find a way to ensure that my body has movement isn't exactly on the top of my list of things that I want to do that like brings me so much joy, but it is something that is required for my body to feel good and cared for. And I think it's also good to, to differentiate self-care from escapism. 
And sometimes Mm. those two can end up overlapping. And so escapism is like trying to leave the world and self-care is more supporting yourself and feeling that full joyful you. Yeah, just to add to that, um, a couple of things came to mind. So, Seth, when you were talking about folding laundry or when we're talking about maybe not prioritizing that time, I find that sometimes people don't enjoy spending time with themselves and they get really uncomfortable. And then so life, they make themselves so busy where then they say they don't have time for self-care because they're uncomfortable. Yeah, they're uncomfortable with their own thoughts and like just having it be quiet and not kind of scrolling through social media or doing something else. Um, And so that can really hinder people from prioritizing that time. And the other thing I hear a lot is I don't have time, which we were saying. Um, And the thing about time, which is really interesting, is that we all have the same amount of time and Mm. nobody sets aside time for just if they feel like doing something. Like nobody's like, oh, from nine to 10 is just like time that I'm just going to leave empty and sit and twiddle my thumbs, right? Like we use all the time that we have. So you have to really be intentional, like you were saying, to carve out that time and then stick to it. It's like when you have a baby, when you have a baby, you don't get more time because you had a baby. You have to work things around (laughs) to care for your baby and do all the other things. And it's the same thing with self-care. You have to prioritize it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm curious, and you talked, y'all talked about it a little bit, but sort of how self care has played a role in your own life. For me, uh, you know, I alluded a little bit. It's it's been a struggle for most of my life. I think I was so goal oriented and focused on mm-hmm. other people and what I wanted to accomplish that I didn't really think about myself in a really in-depth way. And so I saw caring for others as a way to show my love for them. And that's kind of what fueled me a lot. Uh, But the last 10 years, this has changed a lot. So one thing that I do is I make sure that I have time for myself. So we talked about scheduling. And for me, what that looks like is usually getting up earlier than everybody else. So the parents Mm -hmm. out there will understand this. Like It's really nice to have time before you have to take care of the animals and the kids and your partner to just have time for exercise or for journaling or for meditation or for going for a walk or whatever whatever it is that I want to do. And so that is something that I really prioritize. Um, on the other hand, I also make it a point to make sure my kids see me taking care of myself. Mm. So I will schedule like massages or be like, I'm going to go take some quiet time to read this book. And they'll know that that's my time and that I'm taking care of myself. And I also then encourage them to do the same thing. I think that's showing, you know, letting kids see us do the things <laughs> is so important, What, regardless of what, you know, what topic or whatever we're talking about, right? Like whether it's experiencing our emotions, you know, showing kids that we can have emotions, whether it's taking care of ourselves, right? I think it's so important for modeling. There we go. That's the word I was looking for five minutes ago. I think it's really important for us to model, model those things for kids because that's how kids learn, right? They're seeing and they're absorbing. And it's, it's funny that you were talking about the getting up early thing. I, uh, my, I think a lot of us have made COVID purchases to make our house a little nicer of a space. And my my kind of COVID purchase was I bought myself one of those egg swings. It's like a self-suspended swing. And it's on my balcony. And so I haven't, not every morning, but many mornings I will like just go out there I'll wake up early and I'll go out there when it's like quiet and it's still cool enough that I'm not like burning because my street is like, I live in a very like family oriented neighborhood. So it's like very quiet in the morning and I'll just like drink my tea. I'm like, that's my little time to myself. And I think, 
there's definitely something, especially when you have kids, you know, I, I don't have kids myself, but I have very rambunctious bunnies. So getting, uh, I think that time in the early morning can be really, really nice for some people. Yeah, I think it sets the whole intention for your day too, when you start your day mm-hmm. that way. I really tried to compartmentalize aspects of my life. So when I'm with clients, I'm with clients. When I'm doing my admin stuff, I'm doing my admin stuff. But when I'm at home, when I'm spending time with my wife or I'm spending time with family or friends, I'm really there with them. And I think that that is an act of, of self-love and self-compassion and self-care mm. because we often tend to sort of melt different aspects of our life into other things, particularly finding that work-life balance. I mean, how many times have we had a really tough day at work and we bring that home with us emotionally? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that it's incredible when, you know, I feel really fortunate that I do what I do because I absolutely love what I do. But, you know, there are still times where it's tough and, and we, we should be working to live and not living to work. And, you know, for many people, they work to have a paycheck to be able to afford a life that they enjoy. And when they bring back the tough stuff emotionally home with them, they're not getting to enjoy the thing that they're working so hard to have. And so when we're able, and it's really tough, it's a, it's a mindfulness practice, essentially. But when we're able to come home and be with the people that we love and really emotionally be with them, we're creating secure attachments for our kids. We're creating incredible relationships with the people that are important to us. And we're able to create an incredible relationship with ourselves and to honor what it is that we've worked so hard to have. You know, if we've worked so hard to have a, a you know, a home that we love and a family that we love or a group of friends that we love. Let's spend time doing that. Let's really engage. Let's really be there and be excited about it rather than, you know, I've had a really terrible day at work and I can't shake it. Schedule something to shake it. Go for a walk. Do a, a meditation or a mindfulness practice. Have some kind of, of ritual that you do when you leave the office or, you know, before you get home where, you know, some people will vent in their car all the way home. Just let it all out or like sing like, you know, at the top of their lungs. They pull into their driveway, they take some breath, they kind of recenter, and then they walk in and they're like, great, like, you know, I'm home, you know, mum is home or, you know, sister's home, whoever I am, whatever role I play, I'm home and I'm here showing up as me. Yeah, I love that idea. I think being present can be an important part of, of self-care. I think sometimes when we were talking about it, leaning into that escapism a little bit sometimes, but I think a lot of, you know, being present to enjoy that stuff is really important. I'd say it's funny that because the, I think the reason I ended up co-founding with my friend, this company dedicated to helping people find their balance, find their growth, and find what they're seeking and thinking about the different aspects of their life is partially because most of our 19 year friendship, she has been telling me to slow down <laughs> and that I don't need to do all the things. And, and so we started something new, right? That was, it. <laughs> that was <the> response. <laughs> but I actually, I would say I'm someone who struggles because all the things that I am doing tend to be the things that bring me joy, that bring me vitality, that make me feel connected, cared. And so this, the boundary between the things that I do for me, me versus the reason that I do the things are also related to me (laughs) is one that is blurred. And so I, I tend to, I tend to need to work on some of those boundary making aspects of self care so that I can make sure that the balance exists. So I'm, I'm in the journey struggle. I'm with you, Yael. I'm in the journey too, right? Like I love what I do. I work for myself. And sometimes it's really hard to just, you know, 
it's eight o'clock at night and I'm still checking emails or I'm mm -hmm. still, you know, doing research or whatever it is. And sometimes I have to say like, no, your workday ends at a certain time, like spend time at home with the people at home. It's, it's definitely a journey. Yeah, I feel that way too, as someone who works full time and then has a podcast, like on my breaks at work while the babies are napping, I'm just like doing podcast stuff. And like, this is my, I was joking with my wife earlier because I'm on vacation this week. The family that I work for is away. So I'm on vacation. I managed to schedule myself like my whole, the whole week. I scheduled like three recordings and then there's another podcast that I work on that I had a recording for that. And then I was like, I have a meeting with some, I'm like, I have more meeting. It's like, I'm a businessman. I'm a nanny. I have more meetings than any nanny in the whole world. You have an entrepreneur spirit. I know. I really do. Oh my gosh. I'm curious, shifting a little bit to talking about kids. So why is self-care important for kids? I think self-care is tied to self-worth. So self-care is really important for kids because I think when they see us taking care of ourselves, when they are encouraged to take care of themselves as well, then they see themselves as more worthy, more valuable as a person, as someone to take care of. I think a lot of times in our society, there's a lot of um, accolades for the hustle mm -hmm. and for like who can do the most and um, parents who, you know, only put their kids first and don't do anything for themselves because that's what mm -hmm. you're supposed to do. And you know, we talked about the example that that leaves for our children and it doesn't leave a very good one because then they're going to grow up and we all have needs and they're going to be like, well, my mom or my dad or my parent didn't take care of themselves and they were able to do all of yeah. these things. And so now I'm not worthy. Now I'm not good enough. And so I think it's really important that kids understand the importance of taking care of themselves and they see that the people they care do that too because I think that overall is going to make them feel more valuable as a person and have more confidence as they grow up into adults. I think that's so true. I just remember my dad passed away when I was 14 and um, my mom had this like kind of midlife crisis a little bit when that happened where she was like I don't have a life. My whole life is just like driving you places and like you know you know after like after he passed away, she'd sort of gave her that realization. And I was like, I just remember even at that age thinking like, I don't want that to happen to me. You know what I mean? I don't want to be giving. And I appreciate it, right. That my mom had to, you know, she was in a situation where she really had to give her all to me. But I, you know, I think that I just, I just have this very vivid memory of her being like, I don't want to have that moment in my life. You know what I mean? Like I want to have that balance of taking care of other people, but also taking care of myself. And I think a lot of parents can, you know, fall into that sometimes. It's hard not to. I think some of it is just building awareness too on how taking care of yourself really makes you a better parent. Because when you're as a parent, if you're not super stressed, if you're able to be present, you're going to be a better mom. You're going to be a better parent. I used to like run the hustle all the time, like, be worried about my job all the time, doing all the things for all the people. And then when I was home and had time to spend with my kids, I was tired. I was more mm -hmm. irritable. But then when I started having that balance, then when I'm with my kids, I can be super present with them and we can do fun things together and they see their mom happy <laughs> and not just tired all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that goes to the idea of the full cup idea, right? So mm. that if my cup is not full, then how do I give to others? And so we often think of self-care as a selfish act as opposed to a way that we are able to show up and be present like you were talking about, Melissa. When I was thinking about this question, I was like, well, there's such a difference, right? There's there If I were talking about the happy-go-lucky kids in lives that are privileged and they're cared about and loved and safe, that this to me is ensuring that they learn how to do intentional daily practices 
so that as they become adults, those things don't shift, that they still are able to have happy, joyful, balanced, and feeling secure type lives. But then I also think of the kids who, I remember speaking to someone who said, he was 10 or 11, and he was like, how old do you think I am? And I was like, I think you're 10, because he was obviously a child. And he's like, I feel so much older because I've been caring for my siblings for so many years, and I have to be the adult because otherwise no one else will take care of them. Mm-hmm. And that broke my heart for that idea, right? That that even a, a, even a child gets that sort of instruction that if there is no valid or caring adult in this space, that I need to then sacrifice everything in order to be that all giving, like that the, the ideal version of what a parent's supposed to be, which I don't agree with, obviously, that you're talking about, but that you give everything to them and that there's nothing left for you. And so I, to me, I, I saw those two juxtapositions, but the hope is that everyone can then grow up with ways that they will recognize that they matter, that they're worth it, that taking care of themselves is not a selfish act. It's an act of love for yourself and for others. Absolutely. There's you talking about the, um, the full cup, uh, just made me think about, uh, there's this book called, have you filled a bucket today by Carol McLeod? Uh, that just reminds me of that. It's like you, your own bucket has to be full before you can fill other people's buckets, uh, is kind of the idea of the book. And I think that that's, that's really important because you can't, you know, you can't give from an empty bucket. (laughs) So I'm, I'm curious, we're talking a lot about self-care, but like, what is self-care, like practically, tangibly, how can self-care look? What are some ways we can, you know, take care of ourselves or especially, you know, especially thinking about with kids, like what could that look like? So in our home, uh, we talk about self-care as kind of a couple of different things. We talk about hygiene and taking baths and like trimming your nails and things like that, being clean, brushing your teeth. And so we always frame that in a perspective of like, you're doing this to take care of yourself. It's a way to show respect to your body. So they understand that. And so they're, they've gotten pretty good, good about that. Um, but that's one way that we do it instead of trying to say, um, go brush your teeth because you're going to get cavities. You know, we're like, <laughs> go brush. Threatening them. right. That might also be true. But we try to frame it as like, you're taking care of yourself because you know I really want them to grow up feeling like their body is something that should be respected and cared for same for themselves and um, another way that we do that is through self-care through their freedom of expression so my children they have freedom in their in their clothing their hairstyle like how they want to present themselves to the world you know we encourage alone time we talk about processing their feelings and working those th- things out so that they um, can understand different coping mechanisms and not just kind of shut things down. So those are a few different examples of ways that we practice self-care for our kids in our home. Mm, I love that. So I have a friend who has um, a son. I think he's probably at this point around, I want to say eight. And something incredible that she does with him. And I think that, you know, it started off with, with food and it's really sort of expanded into other areas. But is the idea of listening to his body and being really intuitive in what he chooses. So mm-hmm. I remember we were at a restaurant and he'd eaten his meal and he kept saying, I want ice cream. And it was a kid's meal and it came with ice cream. Like he knew this was coming. She's like, that's totally fine. You can have the ice cream. Are you sure that you want the ice cream? And he was really great at thinking about it. You know, do I want it? Do I have room for it? Is that going to feel good in my body? And allowing him the autonomy to make that decision with no judgment, he could eat whatever it was that he wanted, but him listening to his body. And I think that when we, you know, I mean, food is often, often a place where there's a lot of emotion attached for many people, you know, finish Mm -hmm. what's on your plate, don't eat too much, you can't have this, you can't have that. And it's a whole other topic. But 
I think that allowing kids to, and, and we have to do this for ourselves too, is to really tune into what is my body telling me or what is my mind telling me right now? What do I really need right now? What actually would nourish me and feel good? And allowing allowing our kids to to be autonomous and to be intuitive mm. in their choices, I think allows them to create room for, for that self-care of being able to say, no, that's not what I need right now. Or I really need a hug right now. Or I really need some alone time right now. And I, I, I loved your, I, Melissa, I absolutely loved the concept of instead of it being a chore with a consequence, like brush your teeth or you're going to get cavities, like having it be an act of self-love um, because that's what we should be doing. What we should what we should be doing in life should stem from either loving ourselves or loving other people, as long as it's not, you know, to the detriment of ourselves. We should be doing things from a place of love, not from a place of fear. I really love that idea about the food. I feel like that's always how I've eaten and people are kind of confused by it. I'm just like, well, I'm not <laughs> hungry right now. And like, I'm really hungry at this moment. So I'm going to eat. <laughs> and I think that a lot for me of these practices, because I don't work as frequently with children, is reflecting on what I think adults are missing in their lives. Mm. And so when I think about what are ways that we can use self-care with kids, it, it reflects also on what Melissa and Alice was saying insofar as I think being able to just identify your emotions and how those show up in a, in a bot in your body. And so maybe saying something like I am angry and my body feels tense. My heart mm -hmm. is beating fast, right? Teaching kids to be able to identify what are the emotions and how is your body responding? So you can then take care of yourself in that way. And so maybe it's breathing exercises to bring your breath down or physical exertion to get rid of the tenseness that you're feeling, yelling into pillows, right? Whatever it is that, might be a useful response to the way that your mind and body are reacting to something that does not feel good. And then you can help them like, once they're calmer, reflect on what is it, what it is that led them to have those feelings so they can in the future learn to identify it and figure out in a preventative as opposed to a responsive way how to move forward. And throughout the whole thing, just reminding kids that they deserve to feel safe, they deserve to feel good, loved, and that they are also able to provide those things for themselves through these types of practices. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so funny. Um, we've talked about that a little bit before. We were talking about meditation and mindfulness recently. And so you're talking about sort of being aware of your emotions and how they resonate in your body. And it's so funny because for me, like, the idea of knowing that as a kid, like, blows me away because I, I that's something my therapist did with me, like, last year. That was the first time I ever heard about, you know, she was like, when you're angry, like, how is that manifest in your body? And I'm like, I don't know. No one ever, you know, told me to think about that. And so I think it's such an important, again, it's like these things that we're instilled, instilling in children, you know, now I think are just, are, it's really important to be able to do that. And I think that kids, kids get it, I think, sometimes a lot easier than we do as adults. Um, For sure. Yeah. And there's also, I just wanted to mention, there's a really great children's book called Bees for Breathe. And it's basically an alphabet book of coping mechanisms for dealing with like frustrating feelings. Yeah. It's so good. It's by Melissa Monroe Boyd. I actually featured it recently. We do episodes about our favorite books for each topic. It's really, it's a really good book and it has all kinds of cool things, like so many different things, like whether it's exercise, whether it's making art, whether it's talking to someone, you know, there are like so many things that we can do and that are accessible to kids. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes like, I know, for example, like when I think of like those kind of not calm down techniques, but you know, those sort of grounding techniques, I think of like taking a breath or counting to 10 and like those kinds of things do not work for me at all. But like making a piece of artwork totally works for me. And I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can think about it. 
Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be like the traditional, just take a deep breath, which definitely doesn't work for everyone. <laughs> I also really like it because um, I'm always looking for diversity in my kids' books, and the author is a woman of color. And like out of, I think I counted, I counted for the um, episode we did, and I think it was like out of 27 illustrations, like 23 of them are kids of color. And I was like, that's awesome. All right, so now I thought we could move on to self-love a little bit. So first of all, what is self-love? How is it different from self-care? Um, so self-love, so I said I, I felt like self-care is something that's more task or action-oriented things that mm-hmm. you do for yourself. And self-love um, to me is truly having your own back to be able to trust yourself, to treat yourself with compassion and as a priority, and to know deep down that you have the capability to feel and manage any emotion. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what happens in your life, the bad things too, they're going to have a negative emotion and that you know that like you can handle it, that you've got it, you can experience and you are capable of anything. I think, yeah, I think self-love is, self-love and self-care, I mean, they kind of, they need each other, right? Like this is something that mm-hmm. you can't have one without the other, but the self-care component is often more behavioral. Whereas mm-hmm. the self-love component is often more of a mindset and a and a way of being. And it takes a lot of mm-hmm. conscious energy to get to mm-hmm. this point, especially as I think many of us have have grown up with, you know, without that or with the concept of mm-hmm. I'm not good enough because I have to achieve these things, you know, like this this perfectionism and, and the, these achievements. This is what defines me as a human being and I'm never going to be good enough shifting that mindset of I am worthy and deserving of love at all times as I show up. And it is an act of self-love to work to be the best version of me that I can be. And so I think that it's this, this really radical journey that we're, we're all on and it's a roller coaster and there are for sure ups <laughs> and downs to it. But it's a shift in mindset, I think, is, is the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I like that. For me, I think of it as gratitude for ourselves and not that mm. we're always rainbows, right? But the, like you said, that idea that we are always worthy and that we should always matter to ourselves, whether mm. or not we've done the things. And so I think of it as insofar as more behavioral, but it's, it is mindset, being able to compliment and recognize what we do well, while graciously, right? Not in a self-hatred way, but graciously supporting ourselves and doing better where we want to be doing better. And that we recognize our needs, health, emotions, pleasure, and just like well-being, and that we don't put ourselves below other people in our priority lists. Like all of this for mm. me is how to manifest self-love. I'm curious, you know, how self-love has played a role in your own life, just sort of mirroring the questions that we asked for self-care. I'm curious about self-love. So, and like I said, I, I've kind of been on this journey and I've gotten a lot better the last decade or so. Um, but I realized as I got older that I had this kind of toxic practice um, that I now work with clients on because um, I've come to the other side, which is where you give to others and you see love for yourself through the eyes of other people. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that void in yourself that you don't truly love yourself, and don't think that you're worthy, then, a, you know, an, an outcome of that or a symptom of that can be going and doing as much as you can for other people, being the person that other people need you to be. And then through their praise and their love of you, then you love yourself, which obviously is very backwards and not, you know, the most healthy, healthy practice. So coming out of that, now I can be in this place where I really have that kind of self-confidence and self-love for myself. Um, but through this journey, 
a couple of key moments really happened in my life that that changed this perspective for me. So um, I came out as gay in my 30s. So it was later in life. It wasn't, um, could be a whole other show on my whole coming out story, but it's not <laughs> something where I felt like I was hiding anything. I just, I, it didn't all click for me until <laughs> later. Um, and so I had a whole, (laughs) so I had a whole like identity crisis around that because I was uh, married to my children's dad at the time. I'm now remarried to my wife, but at the time it was like, it was just, was a big shift. It was not in the cards. It was not my plan. Right. I had the white picket fence, all of these things. And I was like, what is going on? Um, and so I had to learn to really love myself in this, the true version of myself that I had kind of hidden beyond my conscious thoughts. Um, and then the other piece was around breaking kind of the corporate mold. So I worked in corporate America for 20 years in talent and development and kind of large pharma companies. And I moved out of that to build my own coaching practice. And so I had this whole other than identity shift of, mm. oh, like I'm supposed to have the stable job and the corporate job and the benefits. And now I'm doing this thing on my own and I'm really putting all of my chips on me. And, you know, that in itself is an act of self-love. Um, but it's something I, you know, have to work on all the time to say, I am this person now. Like I'm really living like my authentic self and that to me is like the greatest way of showing love to yourself is to not hide your your true self from yourself or Mm. from anybody else I love that Melissa I love that for me it's really interesting actually because some of what Melissa said I was like yes yes me too I grew up in England and you know I grew up I mean I I came out as as queer in my in my very early 20s but I I really grew up sort of never really feeling like I fit and never seeing myself represented anywhere around me. So I had no idea that lesbians existed or queer people or trans people. I knew that Mm -hmm. gay men existed because they were talked about in the news a lot. And that was, for me, that was the extent of what I saw. So you could be Elton John or you could be, or you could be somebody that society looked down on. And those were the two options. And you had to be, you had to be a cisgender male to do that. And so that was, you know, that was something where when you grow up and you don't see yourself represented, which we as society still have a long way to go, but I think there are huge changes Mm -hmm. that are happening. But I think that that's a really tough place to be in as a child, because how can you, how can you love yourself when you can't see yourself outside? You can't externally see, oh, look at this human being being awesome and successful and somebody that I aspire to be, or even just existing. So, you know, where is my place? And I, you know, I grew up as, you know, in a larger body and I grew up being really, really good at academia and horrible at social situations, terrible at sports. I still can't catch a ball to save my life, Um, not coordinated, not athletic. Um, And so the things that were cool that everybody was, you know, really revered, I was terrible at, except for good grades. And, And unfortunately, like we talked about, that's that external validation It's also something that's this, you know, I'm never going to be good enough. There's a fear that if I don't get straight A's, that I am not good enough and I'm a failure as a person. And so it took me a really, really long time. And it's still something that I have to actively remind myself that I am not my achievements. They might be something that I have achieved, but they don't define me as a human. And uh, a few years ago, probably at this point, I want to say like six, seven years ago, I interviewed for a job. 
And it was a really extensive interview. It was, you know, a psychological assessment piece to it. It was, I've never interviewed like that before. (laughs) And they asked me a question. And the question was, what is your biggest accomplishment? Or what is your biggest achievement? And I was stumped. I sat there and I was like, well, I don't want to talk about my school achievements because I don't, that doesn't feel authentic. I also don't know that I achieved enough as per our capitalist society. And I really thought about it. And, and looking back on it, this probably came across as really conceited or, you know, maybe a little bit fake, but this was a very genuine response. And my response was, I like myself. And they, you know, kind of take it aback, like, oh, okay, can you tell us more? And, you know, I just said, I've spent so many years not liking myself and I know I'm not perfect and I'm okay with that, but I actually like who I am right now. I did get the job. I, you know, probably not based on that question. It was probably (laughs) based on some other things, but yeah. And it was a really odd moment because it still has stuck with me. That was a really genuine response. I had no time to plan that response to that question. Um, But that's what came up for me. And I, I think in that moment, I realized I did the work, you know, I came out, I was living authentically. Um, I was, you know, trying to to have better boundaries, to practice some kind of self-care. And inadvertently, I had gotten to a place where I actually liked myself. And I hope that that our the generation of kids that we're we're raising to be adults can grow up being kids that like themselves, that see themselves mm. around them, that are told by the people around them, you're going to make mistakes, you're gonna do things that upset other people, you're gonna do things that upset yourself. And through all of that, you can still like and therefore love yourself. I love that so much. I resonate so much with what the two of you have been saying. And I think a few years ago, I would have been like, oh, this is uncomfortable (laughs) with the level that resonate. (laughs) I I like had trouble thinking about this because I I think I have an abundance of self-love and then also an abundance of self-doubt. And I like I grew up feeling confident about my physique because I was constantly told how beautiful I was, but also told that like I shouldn't gain weight. I grew up feeling loved and cared for. um, But I also grew up like not feeling like I counted or was enough for the identities that I held. And I talk about this a lot. I actually started my company because of this. Like as a kid, I am a white presenting half Puerto Rican Jewish uh, queer woman. And the fact that I was white presenting meant that I didn't see myself represented in media. There's tons of light skinned Latinas, but they all have this like somewhat European <laughs> look because they eliminate Afro Latinas, indigenous Latinas mm-hmm. and white Latinas from the, and Asian mm-hmm. Latinas from the looks. And so I was just like, okay, well, I don't look like that then because I was born in the U S am I really Latina? And then my mom is Catholic because she's a Puerto Rican Catholic. And so I'm, I'm technically by Jewish law, not Jewish. And then as you were saying, um, I think it was Alice, like I grew up in the theater. And so my father is a director of a theater, was a director of a theater. And so there were gay men everywhere. I just, gay was part of the norm. Like that is what the world looks like. Tons of gay men. But I didn't know that you could be queer. And then when I discovered that, I was like, well, am I queer enough? I haven't had a relationship with Mm. um, someone who wasn't a cis man. And so all of those things to me, like just, it was identity crisis after identity crisis. Every time I had to fill out a survey, I felt like, wow, what do I do? (laughs) And that's all the time in schools. And so to me, there was like such a journey to be able to be like, I count in these things. And so a lot of my work now Mm -hmm. focuses on helping people recognize that they count, that they're valid, that they matter, which is why I use that word matter a lot. But yeah, and and so yeah, it's just it's been a journey. And I can I remember telling someone recently, like as a 
11 year old going out in this teeny tiny top because I love, I love my body. I still do love my body. And I was so excited to share it. But part of it was also me inviting criticism because I was like, I want to know who you are. If you're someone who's going to comment on the way that I'm choosing to dress and what it reflects about me. Hmm. And so I feel like that was an example of me having all this self-love, but also there was, there was doubt, right? There was concern about who would choose to, to question my choices. And then I, I constantly experience imposter syndrome. I have really great reviews every time I do the work that I do, but every time I finish and I get those great reviews, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I, I'm so glad that went well because I somehow rethink that I'm not going to do it. It's not going to go well. So very complicated relationship with self-love. <laughs> I, I think what's interesting that came up for, I think everybody was talking about was this idea of like not feeling represented. And I think that representation, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but representation is so important for kids. And I think that it, you know, it, there's strong roots there in self-love and seeing, seeing yourself, whether it's in books or in, you know, on TV or in the world. Like for, for me as a trans person, like I didn't even know trans was a thing until I was in my mid twenties. You know what I mean? I was like, Oh, well that all makes sense now. But I, I think that representation is so important for kids. And I think that, you know, it sort of ties into loving yourself as see, you know, seeing yourself other places um if i can i'd love to add a thought that came to me while i was listening to everybody yes please especially something that yael had talked about and i was really thinking about how i have shown up throughout my life and i and i think part of the issue that i really found was that i could never show up wholly in any aspect of my life so at school i was the good student On the playground, I was the socially awkward, very nervous, didn't really get it kid who would rather just hide in the corner. So I'm Jewish. I grew up Jewish. I'm not religious practicing, but I'm very connected to my Jewish identity. But I grew up in a Mazorti synagogue. My grandparents were in a United synagogue. And so, you know, we have different like sects in Judaism. And so was I ever Jewish enough? Was I showing, did I know enough? Could I read, the, could I read Hebrew fast enough? Did I know all the, the tunes to the songs that were coming up? Um, was I Jewish enough? And then, you know, into adulthood when I was, you know, when I finally came out, but was I, was I queer enough? And at the time I was, you know, really like, okay, I'm a lesbian. And, and sit, you know, not that I think my, my orientation has necessarily changed, but definitely the language that I used to describe myself has. But when I was first coming out, in my mind, or at least how the community presented itself, it was very much you could be butch, you could be femme, or you could be chapstick, which was right in the middle. Um, and those were the <laughs> options. And so, you know, there was like the lesbian uniform that you know you could kind of like <laughs> tell. And so that was really hard for me because, you know, I'm effectively like a, a white-skinned, Jewish, queer, I identify as a cis woman, but all of those things are with me at all times, as well as all of the other parts of me. I'm a counselor. I'm a friend. I'm a wife. I'm, you know, I, I still am in contact with, with the kids that I nannied. And so I'm sort of like a, an aunt or whatever for them. And so I finally, I'm at a point in my life where I can just show up as myself in any situation. Whereas before I would have to pick what I was showing up as okay, I'm going to, I'm going out and, and I'm going to be around other, other queer people. Okay. I have to dress a certain way because they have to know that mm. I'm, this is who I am and I'm part of them. And that's, I just show up as me now. And for the most part, like I, I walk through the world and most people see me as a straight white cisgendered woman. It's really interesting, but I just show up as me anyway, and they can get to know me if they want or not get to know me if they want. And that for me 
It's a radical act of self-love because I'm no longer selecting the parts of me that show up to things or, or, I mean, yes, there are still safety concerns in certain areas, Mm -hmm. like if I'm traveling. Um, but you know, I think that when we allow our kids to show up as they are wholly in all aspects of their lives, we're allowing them to just be and just being is something that I think many of us didn't have an opportunity to do when we were younger. Yeah. I, I love that so much. I just, I remember I went through this, um, kind of punky phase when I was a youth and I would only wear black and I wore combat boots and you know, that whole thing for like about two or three years when I was in middle school, early high school. And I remember my mom, I grew up Christian and she would always want me to not present that way for church. Like I would still wear a dress or a skirt or whatever, but it would be all black and I'd have my combat boots. And and I just had this very strong memory of she was to this day, she won't tell me who it was, but she, she came up to me and was like, someone in the congregation said, you know, interact, they had interacted with me in some way. And they, she was like, someone in the congregation said that despite the way you look, you're actually very nice. And I was like, that's on them for like having judgments about the way I look. Like, yes. that's not on me for expressing myself the way I want to express myself, you know. But my mom came, you know, had thought that it would be a lesson to me of like, oh, you know, people are making assumptions about you. And I'm like, that's on them. <laughs> that's not on me. <laughs> That's why I, that's why I was like, I'm going to wear the things that I want to wear and I want yeah. to see how people respond. Cause it's like, you're, you're so conditioned to judge folks based on what they're wearing and how they're yep. presenting, whether it's gender presentation or what have you. And I think that even as like, like you as a child, I was like, I, I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. And yeah. so that's a, that's a thing that you need to work on. Absolutely. Melissa, did you have something to add? Yeah, just listening to um, really all three of you, I was thinking the the concept of labels, it's probably something that would be a great thing to be flexible about when we think about self-love and self-care and how we can love ourselves. Um, just listening to the stories of how difficult it was to fit in a label or, or see ourselves represented in different groups and not feeling like enough. You know, I was with my wife for almost two years before I would identify as being gay because I didn't see my story as lining up with other mm-hmm. stories. And and I think that that has an impact on all of us when we feel that way. And sometimes we feel a rush to label ourselves so that we can belong and fit in. And when we don't see that, then we feel negatively about ourselves. And so maybe having the freedom to not provide a label and just be who we are can be one of the greatest ways we can show love to ourselves. There's this kind of line between like, if not having a label feels good to you, don't have a label. If having a label feels good to you, that's great. But know that like, especially in the queer community, we're all about self-labeling. So like, for example, I identify as bisexual and I identify and I uh, define that as being attracted to people the same gender as me and different genders. There are people who identify as bisexual who define that differently. Mm-hmm. And like, that's totally fine. And there are people who identify as pansexual who define it the same way I define bisexual, right? Um, and I think it's about like, for some people finding that label that feels good um, can be really helpful. But at the same time, this, I, I feel like I... I love this practice of sort of self-labeling and not, you know, like no one can come up to me and tell me how I identify, you know what I mean? Based on my sexuality or anything else, only I can do that. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. So we have a couple of exciting announcements today. First of all, we want to announce the winner of our one year anniversary giveaway. And that person is Soraya. 
So thank you all so much for everybody who participated. We really, really um, appreciate all the love and support. And we, I mean, personally, I just, I love doing giveaways. I love getting great books into people's hands. Uh, so thank you all so much again for participating. The next thing I want to say just real quickly is I wanted to give a quick shout out to a listener, uh, Tracy Shelton, who sent us just a very lovely email um, about how our episode about anxiety uh, really helped her um, in talking with her child. So uh, I just want to thank you, Tracy, for being a listener and um, for letting us know how much the show means to you. It really, uh, really means a lot to me when folks reach out, you know, really motivates me to keep doing this work. So please, uh, if uh, any of our work or episodes have been meaningful to you, don't hesitate to let us know. Other than that, it's just the usual stuff. Uh, so, of course, you can always follow us at Rod Child Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing radchildpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, www.radchildpodcast.com, under the Contact Us section. There's a little form you can fill out. There's also information under the Contact Us section about being a guest, if that's something you're interested in. We're always looking for guests. Some of our upcoming themes uh, that we're working on are adoption, foster care, autism, ADHD, intersectionality, um, differences, divorce, uh, additions to a family, so like a step-parent or step-sibling, a new sibling, anything like that. Um, and also we're going to do a special on passions, uh, just sort of how we can share our passions with kids. So that can be anything, um, anything that you like to do and how you share that with the children in your life. Other than that, um, you can always get some rad merchandise. Uh, you can either do that by going to the website, www.radchildpodcast.com, uh, under merch, I believe, or excuse me, I think it's under store. I'm just making things up now. I don't even know what's on my own website. <laughs> and otherwise, you can also go to Etsy.com and just search Radchild Podcast and you'll find our store that way. Uh, and last, but of course not least, uh, if you would like to support us monetarily with um, as small of a donation as one dollar a month you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash radchild podcast you can join the ranks of the wonderful kai emma alex and sarah uh thank you all so much for the support that you give us we really appreciate it um so yeah that's about it from me i'm gonna hand it over to rebecca and crystal do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books. We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So started moving on to talking about kids. Why is self-love important for kids? 
um, I think it's really important to help them feel confident and to know that they can handle anything, to respect themselves and their bodies, especially as they're growing um, with peer pressure going on, to just know that they're priceless and worth all the good in the world. I think mm-hmm. that will help with kids feeling less pressured um, to give in to things that maybe aren't aligned with their own integrity if they love themselves enough to say no. I think there's a false narrative that's pushed by certain people, not all people, that when we allow kids to be whoever they are and to show up in the world knowing that they are going to be loved and accepted regardless, that we're somehow also saying, you don't have to contribute, you don't have to achieve anything, you don't have to work for anything, um, you're going to be handed everything, you're going to be entitled. And that is so untrue. I think that, you know, the idea that we only motivate people by, you know, and sort of envisioning, you know, like (laughs) a a large white man with a whip, you know, I think that, that, that idea that we only motivate people to contribute to our capitalist society by running them down so that they feel like their only value comes from productivity in one very specific way is, is really hurtful. I think that it's super detrimental to the human experience. And I think that really what we're creating, hopefully, is a space where where kids can grow up to be who they are, knowing that that can change throughout life because we change and grow as human beings, and that they can still be excited to work on things, that they can still be excited mm-hmm. to contribute. And what does that contribution look like in society? It doesn't have to look like earning money in, in a big corporation. You know, maybe it looks like being a caring person that spreads love and makes other people feel good so that they can contribute to the people around them and we can create more kindness. And so I think that the important piece of self-love for kids currently is, you know, we're growing up in a really harsh world, especially, you know, and this is maybe a little bit of a segue, but social media is shaped, unfortunately, to make us feel bad about ourselves so that we'll Mm. continue to work harder and achieve, achieve, achieve and change this and change that and and fit into a very, very tight mold. You know, I think that allowing space for kids to just be just creates so much more diversity, which is beautiful because within that diversity, we're creating more room for acceptance. And I love that that sort of conversation about social media, I think is so important because I think on social media, we're, you know, often putting out our best self and then we're comparing ourselves to other people's best, you know, what we want people to see as our best self, right? Like I'm not, I mean, maybe some people are, but you know, I'm not making a post. It's like, I had a terrible day and cried all day, you know, like that's not what I'm, what I'm sharing. And I think that comparing, I mean, comparing ourselves to other people, period is, you know, can be harmful, but especially with, with social media, I think that's an important part of that conversation. I think when I think about self-love and for kids, I'm reminded of Sonia Renee Taylor's, uh, the body is not an apology if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with it, but uh, they talk about radical self-love and that, that it originates when we're born, that as babies, right, babies will play with their own toes and their fingers. And they're just like so fascinated, memorized by what their little bodies can do and how they move and the sensations and everything is new and exciting and incredible. And like that as a basis of self-love, that just curiosity and being feeling mesmerized by yourself. And that as we get older, we start to take in the messages from adults and from other kids that there are, that we shouldn't feel that way, right? That there's something wrong with feeling so Mm. loved 
excited by ourselves, by mesmerized by ourselves, and that there these are the reasons that it's wrong, that these are all the ways in that we in which we have deficits. And so I think it's important to like keep kids in that space of and right, and I, I agree with the whole like it doesn't mean that you're not gonna be in some way doing things in the world, but like being able to recognize and congratulate you for you and be excited about you for you. Um, because we just seem to be losing more and more of that as we get older, unless you happen to be like this group of people right on that journey where you're undoing that learning, but not everyone gets that opportunity to undo. Yeah, that's so true. Sort of uh, moving on to sort of practical things. What are, you know, what are some practical ways that we can incorporate self-love with kids? What does that look like? Some things that come to mind um, would be practicing forgiveness um, for Mm. ourselves um, and processing kind of our thoughts and connections to our thoughts and our feelings and how that's helping us show up in the world. And so we do a lot around embracing our feelings and validating them. So and talking about this concept of there are no bad feelings. Mm -hmm. So all feelings are just feelings. They're neutral. (laughs) And we then we just talk about how those feelings feel and, you know, what thoughts are associated with those feelings and how that helps us be who we want to be and, and how we can process those things and different coping mechanisms. Um, and I think just this element of being human, right? There is no perfection. Um, life can be 50-50 sometimes and that's okay. And so just understanding that and being able to be okay with whatever we feel, whatever we think and being okay to talk about that journal, you know, and just process all of that, I think is a great way for people to really feel comfortable with who they are without the judgment. I'm more and more realizing that I do the exact same things with adults as I do with children. Like I just, (laughs) children, just the smaller versions of the people that I work with. But I start all my workshops, like the spaces I facilitate classroom sessions with having folks congratulate themselves. And Mm. so for adults, I call it the badass activity. And for kids, depending upon their age, I say, tell me a reason that you're awesome today or you're fantastic or another positive adjective that fits for you. And so it could be something like, I took out the garbage and I was helpful to my family and this makes me feel good, right? Like I, I, I feel excited that I contributed. It could be something, I wore something that made me feel confident and that makes me awesome. Or I stood up to my friend when they made me feel sad and you know that makes me feel brave. And so just being able to say like these small things that may or may not be small, they might be large, that you did them and to pause and to really sit with that as an accomplishment, not by the capitalistic standards of accomplishments, but as something that feeds you and your soul mm. um, is something that I, I ask folks in my spaces to practice regularly while they're with me. Okay, so wrapping up, I'm curious if y'all have any resources about self-love or self-care could be for kids, adults, whether it's books, shows, websites, anything you can think of. Um, a couple that came to mind, of course, like, I mean, most work by Brene Brown is all great. Um, she has a particular book, Gifts of Imperfection. And then uh, Jensen Ciro's book, You Are a Badass, is one of my favorites. Um, I have it on audio when I need someone to tell me I'm a badass. And I also have the written book. 
<laughs> the hard copy. Um, and then for my kids, the one that I think is just provided the most value for them when it comes to love is the I Love You So book by Marianne Richmond. Mm. So I actually had that book. You can get it um, personalized. You can get it with your kids' names in it and Aww. things about them in the book and get it printed that way. Or you can get the, the general version as well. But the concept of that, if you're not familiar, is just around loving your children no matter what and loving that relationship and how that bond and the love doesn't matter who they are or what they do or if they're naughty or make a mistake that they're always loved so much. I love that. So this, I definitely second Brene Brown. I think she's magical. Everything that she says and writes is fantastic. Also, um, Kristen Neff. Um, so she writes a book called, um, I think it's just called self-compassion. And so basically the idea is that we can accept our weaknesses and celebrate our strengths in order to find that self-compassion and to build emotional resilience. So I definitely recommend she has a book and I think she has some TED Talks and some other things online. So if you're more into sort of like YouTubing or watching videos, I think that's definitely definitely an option there. I think another thing, and this is not a resource, but more of a, a practice is, you know, when we think of self-love and self-compassion and in terms of kids, is that we are their role models and we are really modeling whether we like it or not what they should and should not be doing in in life in general so we -hmm. have the ability to model the good and the bad and everything in between and I think that's something that we can do for ourselves is to really reassess what our social media looks like what are we what are we subscribed to who are we following are we following things that when they come up they make us feel not so great about our life? Are they making us feel inferior? Can we challenge those thoughts? But also can we streamline what we're feeding ourselves? Because, you know, no, this is not universally true. But I think the majority of us spend a lot more time on social media than we either want to admit or that we are able (laughs) to recognize. Whether we are actively engaged in this process or not, it is forming how we see the world and how we see ourselves in the world. And I think when we can make that shift, we, we can create a more healthy environment for ourselves to grow a more loving mindset. And when we can be more self-loving, and I think, you know, Melissa and Yelp, I think both of you touched on the idea that, you know, when we, when we say things like, I'm carving out time for myself right now, or, you know, even just setting boundaries of saying no to things that don't serve us, our kids are watching, they're seeing this and they're saying, oh, mm-hmm. I have permission to say no to that. Or, I have permission to say, you know what, I'm overwhelmed right now. I need to go take a minute. This is, I need to go do some coloring. This feels really good to me. Um, so I think that when we reshape what we are ingesting sort of on a cerebral level and we really shift our focus, we're modeling that for kids and we're also creating space for them to explore that. I'm often surprised by the people that folks follow, particularly on Instagram. Every time I open Instagram, I'm filled with joy because I only follow things that fill me with joy. <laughs> so when other <laughs> people talk about how they feel sad, they compare themselves and like, oh, who do you follow and why? I would say that the first two recommendations are one that I already mentioned, the body's not an apology, because I think it's it's useful for adults and then they can bring that information to kids because it is mm-hmm. based upon the way that which we develop a relationship to self throughout our lifetime. Another book is Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown. I just love that book. And I think it really helps think about pleasure as a form of liberation, pleasure as a right, and pleasure not just in the sense of sexual orgasmic pleasure, but all the different ways that we take pleasure in our lives. And so going back to that example of um, 
the child been able to decide whether or not they wanted the ice cream, right? Like, is it something that my body desires? Is it something that my tongue wants to taste? Will I feel good afterwards? Like all of those topics come up in pleasure Mm. activism. And then returning to the idea of representation, uh, I have a publishing company and the intention is to increase representation. One of those books is called Luna Yes, Luna See, and it's a bilingual children's book about two Latina sisters, one of whom has autism. And I really love this. And I didn't write it, just to be clear. This was written by an author whose younger sister has autism. Um, But I love it because we often see white male savants as a representation of autism. This is a little Latina girl who is about 40% verbal is what they told me, the person this is based off of. And I just, we just don't see that. That's not a narrative that we get to hear. And the story is about their bond and their love and the ways in which they communicate, which is not the ways that you might communicate with someone who is more verbal. And so I just, I love this idea of helping or like the modeling, right? Modeling to children that there are different ways that you can communicate, different ways that you can show love. It may or may not be physical if that's not what someone feels good doing. Mm. And and yeah, so Luna Yes, Luna See by Jessica Gonzalez. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. If y'all have any personal projects, um, things that you do that you want to plug and or where people can find you on social media if you would like to be found. Sure. So um, I'm a certified career and life coach, as I said, when we get started. So I work with women one-on-one who want to identify their ideal career and their purpose, build confidence, these self-love practices that we talked about. So they really have courage to live an authentic life. And so the premise is really to teach women to be fearless and to go after all of those things that are hard and scary so that they can really live um, vulnerable and as fulfilled as possible. So for anyone that is interested in learning more, um, you can reach out to me directly. You can find me on Facebook under my name, Melissa Lawrence, on Instagram, underscore Melissa Lawrence. (laughs) And you can also um, learn more about coaching and reach me through my website, which is www.melissamlawrence.com. Perfect. And uh, just for my own personal curiosity and for listeners, um, as far as uh, do you only work with women? Do you work with non-binary folks that are female presenting or? Yeah. um, So I do work with um, non-binary female representing people as well. Great. Cool. Okay. So yeah. So as I mentioned, I'm a registered clinical counselor and a Canadian certified counselor. You can find me. um, I'm not super active on social media. I'll be very honest, (laughs) but you can find me on Facebook under Alice Curitz, C-U-R-I-T-Z, Counseling Services. And it's the same handle on Instagram. Um, and then I also have my website, which is Um So I, I focus my work on um, relationships, sex, intimacy. I work a lot with um, neurodivergent folks. I do a lot of couples and partners counseling. And I primarily work with the LGBTQ plus community. So um, I, like I said, I I mostly work with adults. I do occasionally work with youth. I'm not working with children, but I, I'm always happy to refer people as well to other colleagues that I, you know, trust and I'm happy to, to refer people to when it's a really good match. So yeah, so feel free to reach out to me if anybody's interested in chatting. Amazing. And you said the work you do is uh, online, right? Yeah. So I just work online or I also do phone sessions, but Um, So I'm able to work with folks across Canada. Um, I am also able to work with some folks in the U.S. depending on their location. But for the most part, I just work in Canada. I don't know if I mentioned this. I am. So I'm the founder of Kaleidoscope Vibrations, an organization dedicated to helping people find confidence in their identity and through that finding community. 
And then I did mention the part about representation, which we do through publishing. So part of what I do through that company is workshops around inclusivity, diversity in the workspace, but also identity coaching. And so helping people mm. have that personal experience around these these topics. And I am also a sex coach, um, sex coach educator and author. And so insofar as the, the identity work, you can find that at uh, kvibrations.com. And as the sex educator, sex coach, I am Yael the Sex Geek on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, though I'm most active on Instagram. And my website is sexpositiveyou.com. And I offer coaching services. I'm releasing soon a free webinar as well as a paid multi-week uh, online experience. I have a book around sex positivity, getting to know yourself, communication, boundaries, and what have you. And I think the last thing I would mention is the Diverse Bodies Project, which speaks to this idea of self-love and what does that look like and how it can look by many different ways. And it's a nude photo interview series, which can be found through Diverse Bodies Project on Instagram. Amazing. Well, uh, thank you all so much for being here. It's been a really great conversation. Uh, and I really appreciate everything that you all have to offer. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. And remember, stay rad. I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Aaron Lakoff, host of Changing on the Fly, a brand new podcast on the Upford Network. Changing on the Fly is a podcast that dives deep into the intersections between hockey and social justice. We take on issues of sexism, racism, and homophobia on the ice. You'll hear from athletes, activists, fans, scholars, and even musicians who love hockey but want to keep the jerks out of the game. Think Colin Kaepernick or Serena Williams, but with skates and less teeth. It's your perfect antidote to Don Cherry and Coach's Corner. Hey, Don, what do you think of changing on the fly? Not the left-wing, pinkle media, bleeding hearts, guys. What are you, nuts? Anyways, you can find Changing on the Fly wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at changingontheflypodcast.wordpress.com.